Welcome to B&B Financially Free, the podcast for ambitious individuals chasing financial freedom through buying short-term rental investments. We're your hosts, Chantel and Peter, and we're the founders of Good Neighbor Realty. Our brokerage has helped hundreds of people turn their active income into passive income by buying unique properties in incredible locations that are earning a ton of money. On this show, we'll bring on a diverse range of guests from industry experts to everyday people who have achieved extraordinary results in their short-term rental investments, businesses, and personal lives. Whether you're seeking tactical advice or trying to unlock your richest life, BNB Financially Free is here to join you on the journey. All right, and welcome to BNB Financially Free. I am so excited to have John today from TechVestor, who also has an amazing new analytics tool that he's going to talk to us about. John, I would love for you to just tell us who you are, what you do with TechVestor, and what you're doing to educate investors on how to analyze short-term rentals. Awesome. First off, appreciate you having me on here. This is uh, this is going to be fun. I enjoy speaking with you. We get along very well, so this should be a good conversation. Um, but I am... John Bianchi, I refer to myself as the Airbnb data guy, self-proclaimed, um, but uh, I live and breathe Airbnb data. So I'm the head of data for TechVestor, which is the largest short-term rental investment fund in America. We've bought over 100 properties, closer to 120 at this point, um, but we have about 72 of those that are live and up and running where we actually have data on them. Um, and I was actually just looking at the numbers earlier today. I have predicted accurately all 72 of those properties. So in other what? words, every single one of those, yeah, every single one of those properties cash flows for us across the board, um, and it cash flows for us well as well, right? So like, I'm conservative within 25, percent which means you know if I predicted the property is going to make 100,000, actually makes 125,000, but my prediction is kind of based off of like that middle case scenario, not the best case or the worst case. So I and we buy the property happy with that sort of middle case scenario, and then we're just hitting that best case scenario. And so every all seventy two properties that we've purchased have been uh, good properties, like not a single dud across all of them. So that's a that's a pretty sweet uh, data point on, yes, that's on my incredible. process and how I analyze data. I would love yeah, to so like dig into thing. how you figure out exactly within 25% what they're going to earn and the skill set that has gone into that. For people who don't know, can you tell us a little bit about what TechVestor is? Yeah, so TechVestor is a uh, an investment fund where accredited investors can invest their money into um, the pool, like the fund of money, right? And then we take that, that money and we go out and we buy... Uh, short-term rentals. And we, the way that we are sort of explaining it to people, it's like a way to be able to get into short-term rentals, have the tax advantages, all of those things, but not have to do anything yourself. Like literally nothing. You hand us the money and we go from there. Um, I'm not on the investor relations side. So like, I don't know how to explain it perfectly. I just know that what we do is we buy really good Airbnb properties and we, we manage them extremely well. Right. And, uh, and they all cash flow. And we, we've been like in the first year, don't quote me on this, but we're like around an 8%, which is very good for getting up and running across that many properties with the knowing that most of those properties are still in their ramp stage. So they're not like mm-hmm. fully ramped up and actually making the true amount that they should be making, given that we had enough lead time to get the proper uh, maximum bookings, right? So 
that's what TechFester does. Um, just want to also mention that, uh, you know, along with working with TechFester, I also have a consulting business that helps with Airbnb data. I have a software that comes out for Airbnb data. I have three Airbnb data courses on YouTube for free. Um, and I live and breathe Airbnb data. So that's like all I do. And not only do I predict the annual revenue for each individual property we're going to get, but my job at TechFester is truly to figure out what's the absolute best market for us to enter into. I've gone through over 300 and we're in about five. And I've also figured out what is the absolute best thing for us to purchase within that market. And then how do we maximize the revenue of that property once we have it? And so that's the, that's like the full amount of what I do and everything I got going on for everyone who's wondering. Yeah, you got a lot going on. And I have been obsessed, obsessed. I'm not sure if you can like see the people who are like downloading stuff from your newest software that you released, but I'm like, (laughs) I am going hard into that new software for Colorado. Why don't you tell me about and tell our listeners about this new software that you have, how it's different than what we already have on the market, like maybe how it's different than AirDNA and Rabu and why you created it, given that we already have those resources. So, uh, I actually, I want to start with that last question that you said, like, why did I, why did I build it in the first place? Right. Um, and I think that's a perfect place to start because the problem that I was having with a lot of other of the softwares and a lot of them are very useful. So I'm not putting down any other data provider. I still think that there's use cases to these other softwares that are out there just to start off. Right. Mm -hmm. But what I found was that it was very difficult for me to take, to have confidence when I was making a decision because, um, yes, I could see a lot of the information for all these different markets, but I didn't know without a doubt that the property that I was going to purchase was going to be the most profitable property in the entire market that I was looking into and that it had all of the competitive advantages to be able to beat out, uh, hard times and and still get booked during those times and, and beat out all the competition. Right. So there was this sort of the, the way that the data is structured and, and displayed within a lot of the other providers doesn't allow you to navigate in a way to be able to get that level of confidence. And so what my software does that's different is it actually uh, gives you data in spreadsheets. And spreadsheets is, in my opinion, where data should live because mm-hmm. it's so much easier to navigate data inside of a spreadsheet and be able to see a pattern uh, once you know what you're doing, right? And so what the software does is that you, you type in any location or any market that you're looking into, and you can create a report that we refer to as a profit map. And that profit map will essentially break down all of the data for that market based off of zip codes and bedroom counts. And then it essentially you know shows you where the most money is being made across either a major city, like what zip code is best and what bedroom count is best, or if it's a small place, it tells you what bedroom size is best, right? And then from there, you can go into the row level data, meaning like you can see the data on each individual property and be able to see um, uh, the information behind that. And that allows you to be able to understand why one property is making more than the other, right? Because like in every single market, there's four bedrooms, you know, that are making a hundred thousand and some four bedrooms are making 50,000. And so the the question then becomes like, why, right? Like what Mm -hmm. is the difference between these two? And so by having the data structured in this way, you're first able to figure out where's the best place to go within whatever market you're looking at, whether that just be bedroom count or zip code. And then from there, you're able to figure out, you know, why the most profitable area has some places making $100,000 and what they're doing right that's allowing that to happen. And then you also figure out what to avoid by studying the properties that are making 50000 right? So. Mm-hmm. 
the 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 software essentially is supposed to help you able to navigate the data to be able to get the better, more confidence in your decision before you actually go out and purchase. Um, and it, in in my opinion, it's just an easier way to be able to see the data. So I would totally agree with opinion. you. Yeah, it is like okay. a much easier way to see the data. I've been using it nonstop. So the thing that I love about it is you exclude bad data. And for people that haven't spent a lot of time on AirDNA or Rabu or whatever, sometimes you'll come across things that just don't really make sense. Like sometimes you'll see a property that seems way higher than what makes sense for it. Like maybe they're misinterpreting data. It only has two reviews, but it's making 500,000 a year. And so I think the cool thing about your software is it only looks at good data. So what are some things that you would say are indications of a property that's not being accurately reported or just not good data that you would exclude? Yeah, perfect. I'm glad that this came up because every single podcast, I make sure to talk about this. So <laughs> this is, so I want to start off with first, what makes good data, right? So let's start off with that. So we have an understanding of what makes good data and then it, it becomes easier to understand what's bad data. Mm-hmm. So the first, what you need is a property that's been tracked or recorded by the algorithms or by the companies uh, for ideally over 250 days, right? Then you also need a full-time host. So let's start off with the being tracked part, right? The way that the algorithms work is that they go into the calendar of every single Airbnb every single day um, to record the calendar. So the goal in there, they'll see that you know you have every single night set up for $100. Then they'll come back the next day and they see that one of those days got blocked off or, or that it's blocked off, blocked off. And then once they see that, they assume that you got a booking at $100 plus whatever the cleaning fee was, right? And so then that, that that's they've now recorded that you've made $100 plus the cleaning fee. And then they're going to come in again the next day and do the exact same thing. And they're going to do this over and over and over and over again, right? To be able to figure out what your annual revenue is for that actual property. Now, if a property's only been tracked for 30 days, you can't just take that and times it by 12 because of the seasonality of this industry, right? Mm-hmm. And so you ideally want it to be almost a full year's worth of tracking so that you can figure out the annual revenue. When you kind of get to those like last like two to three months, you can take the average occupancy and ADR and, and figure out what the entire year most likely would end up looking like. And so that's why I feel comfortable using data that's only been tracked for 250 days, right? So that's the first thing. Now, a property can be tracked that entire time. However, it could also not have a full-time host. And so what you need, especially for people who are trying to build an Airbnb business and trying to get true annual revenue numbers and things like that, you need somebody who is an active full-time host. And so the best way that I figured out to be able to determine if you are looking at a listing that has a active full-time host and not like a part-time one who just rents it out when they're gone on vacation is by looking into the reviews and ensuring that there's been a review every single month for the past 12 months, right? So mm. uh, ideally two to three reviews every single month for the past 12 months. Um, there should be you know, more during peak season, less during slow season, but ideally it should look like it's a very active host and you, or active listing. You can get that through the reviews, right? So then therefore, if you were to have the uh, listing that has been tracked over 250 days, plus a good amount of reviews every single month for that past, you know, uh, 10 to 12 months, then you know that you're looking at good data, right? Everything else becomes bad data, right? So if it if it doesn't have a good amount of reviews throughout the entire year, say there's only like five, it's mm-hmm. not good data, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if it has been tracked for 100 days, it's going to be hard to predict the true annual revenue number, right? Mm-hmm. So there's, there's some, um, if you just base it off of those two things alone, you're pretty well good to go. If I were mm-hmm. to, if I were to just, just say that without overcomplicating it. 
Yeah, that makes so much sense. And I think that people get hung up on that. So they might see something that's like a brand new listing and they might be like, oh, well, this one's not performing right. But I actually, I've seen that there's typically a lag in data reported. Have you noticed that on your end too? Yeah, that's just because of the way the companies work. Um, because of the, the like to record the data, clean the data, sort the data, and then present, re-like upload it there is a bit of a lag time period that it takes to be able to do that. Uh, you know, every company tries to do it as fast as they possibly can, but there's, you know, you're working with like millions and millions of rows. And so there's, there's a little bit of a lag time that happens with those kind of things. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And would you say that the properties that you guys are buying, are they performing in like the top 10% in your markets? Are you, you know, are you buying assets that maybe are supposed to be performing in like the mid-level range? Like what type of assets are you guys focused on? So the assets that are going to be in that 90, 90 percentile are almost always going to be luxury properties, right? Mm-hmm. So we don't buy luxury properties uh, because they're overpriced and it's really difficult to be able to cash flow with a luxury property. Doesn't mean that you can't get a luxury property and make it work. That's not what I'm saying. That's just, mm-hmm. we have a very set box of what we look for, Right. Um, and so we are typically buying properties that fall within that sort of 75 percentile range, or at least we're hoping for that to be the case. Now, I personally don't like using that as a metric to be able to determine if this is something we're going to get or not. Right. Sure. Um, the way that I'm always going about it is I'm trying to figure out where the most money is being made within that market. Mm-hmm. But usually the area where the most money is being made is where the luxury properties are, right? Mm -hmm. So say I'm looking into like Scottsdale as an example, there's a spot where there's people making like $300,000 hand like, like, like no tomorrow, but all the properties are very, very, very expensive. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I might look into that area and be like, okay, there's a lot of money being made here, but it's not useful. And so the next thing I'll do is I'll go to uh, the, the next area that's making the most amount of money. And I'll kind of continue this and I'll keep going down and down either whether it be zip code and bedroom or going, you know, looking at a three bedroom, then a four bedroom, then a five bedroom, uh, all within the same zip code. And I'll kind of keep doing this until I find the biggest uh, variance between the revenue and the purchase price. Right. Mm. Um, and so what it, as, as a good example here, right, there's a market that we know where uh, three bedrooms, the home price is almost the exact same as a, a four bedroom. It's just the way that it is, right? It's it's almost the exact same price. It's very, very little difference between the two. However, the revenue for a four-bedroom compared to that three-bedroom is significant. Like, it's it's so much more because you can get so many more people in there, and that's sort of like the minimum criteria to make a lot of money. And so what that's what I refer to that is the uh, an inefficiency within the market, right? Where the mm-hmm. revenue doesn't change, or the, sorry, the, the revenue does change, but the home prices don't change. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, based off of that, that one little metric there. And so then therefore the four bedroom becomes a significantly better buy in comparison to the three bedroom and has so much more potential for profit. So, you know, when you're, when you're asked the question, you know, do we look into the, uh, not, do we buy the 90th percentile or the 75th percentile? The question is, I don't know really. Like I genuinely, <laughs> like I don't, I don't use that metric. All I'm doing is I'm looking for an inefficiency within the market. That's going to allow for us to be able to get the best possible return from that market whatever that may be 50th percentile 90th percentile like whatever it is right i love that, that thought yes so instead of you know trying to be in the 90th percentile you're looking for the biggest variance of in the market for purchase price versus revenue potential 
Exactly. And it exists. Like I've seen it so many times, so many times where uh, five bedrooms will just dominate four bedrooms, where, mm-hmm. but, but, but three bedrooms will do the same as four bedrooms. Like, mm-hmm. like I know a market that does that. Right. So, and if you just study these markets enough, you'll be able to eventually see that. Right. Um, like I've seen it where two bedrooms do as well as four bedrooms. Right. So like, why would you ever buy a four bedroom? Right. Um, save so, your money. It, it, yeah. Make more money. Right. So you save money and you have, there's a better, better profit in each, in those properties. Right. So it, each market's different though. Every single market's different. So you have, like, there's no way that I could just be like, oh yeah, buy two bedrooms in all markets. Cause they're better. It's like, that's not the case. And then even in all cities, there's different pockets within all those cities and it's different depending on what pocket you're in. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that makes way. so much sense. And honestly, like that's why I've enjoyed your software so much because I'll just, you know, type in a city in Colorado and then it will just spit out like all of the two bedrooms and what they're earning and the three bedrooms and the four bedrooms and like the number of reviews that that listing has is on there. And like the link to the listing is also on there. Um, and AirDNA has made some big changes and I don't know if they're adding this back, but they actually no longer have some of those links. And so I have been so happy that like I've invested in your software because now I can actually click on the short-term rental link and actually compare the asset that I'm looking at. Um, how important do you think occupancy is versus design for a short-term rental? Do you think that they go in hand in hand? How do you value good design versus high level of occupancy? Um, so first off, just want to say thank you for all the kind words that you're saying about the software, because <laughs> like that, just, it's making me so happy to hear. It. And people are probably thinking that I'm paying you to say this, but like you just <laughs> hopped on and you're like, I didn't even tell you about the software the first time you had to like find out from somebody else. Right. Yeah. So, I like how to track to you down. Your... <laughs> yeah. So um, just really happy to hear all that. But when, but you know, getting back to the question, which is the occupancy versus design, I, I kind of see like I see the way that you're asking the question, which is like, if you have really good design, do you think that helps increase your occupancy? But what I want to kind of point out is that I don't think that occupancy is a good metric to be tracking simply mm-hmm. it, it personally. Now, obviously, mm-hmm. you want to get it, occupancy turns into more revenue. However, the reality is it also turns into more expenses. And so, you know, if you uh, are able to get like Here's an example, uh, the panhandle of Florida, right? You know, Destin, Miramar, all those different areas. They, they re- those homes are really only occupied for like four months out of the year, uh, mainly only two months out of the year, right? However, you can still buy a property down there and it cash flow for you in it, it positively, right? So like you can still find a positive flowing, uh, positive cash flowing property. Sorry, that took a second. Um, where it's only really being rented out for like a small portion of the year, just because there's so much money to be made during that time frame, right? Like a lot of those listings will shut off for six months out of the year. Therefore, their their occupancy is like crazy low, right? Um, throughout the entire year, if you were to compare it to somewhere else, where you know, like Gatlinburg, where there's there's uh, people coming in there at all times. So, mm-hmm. I guess what I'm trying to say is that we, I personally, never look into occupancy as being a metric of something I should be concerned about because the reality mm-hmm. is, if you could get 50% occupancy but still cash flow really well because you have such a high ADR, you're saving a ton on your expenses and you're still walking away profitable and you're doing a lot less work, right? So, like, it could be a really good thing to get hit, hit that. Now, um, I do strongly, strongly believe that design makes a huge difference, not only to your occupancy, but your ADR, which mm-hmm. ADR is, I guess, in my opinion, way more important, right? Um, if you could have an amazing design, but then also 
take uh, amazing photos, not just good photos, but amazing photos to really show off that design. Photos are so important. People don't like, don't appreciate how much revenue you can make uh, by having proper photos. And so with good design and good photos combined, your ADR is going to go way higher than it was prior. And that's naturally going to also help your occupancy. Um, but if you, if I could just add even a little bit more to this, right, that those things are great, but you've, you're running a business and the business that provides the most value is what's going to win. And mm-hmm. so I always like to think, um, like when I go on vacation now and we rent my, me and my friends or my family rent out a, an Airbnb, I'm studying everybody's movement. I'm studying my movement. I'm paying attention to it. I'm understanding like what everyone's doing. And the reality is, especially for cabins and, and these certain places, people are having to entertain themselves within your property for either three to seven days. So think about that. They have to, maybe there's a beach nearby or a mountain they can climb, but there's going to be a good portion of time where they have to entertain themselves inside your listing. So when you're considering design, consider how you could add value for those people to entertain themselves. Is that a card table? Is it a pool table? Is it something in the backyard? Is it as simple as like lawn games? There's so many different lawn games that you could put there. All of those little things are going to make people want to book your home over somebody else's and give you more clicks. And if you can get more people to look at your property and want to book your property, you can continue to increase that ADR and increase your occupancy. So Design is very important. Photos is important, but adding more value is as important as all of those. Um, and it's all going to help with the occupancy and ADR. I love that mentality of just adding more value and something that you said about, you know, studying how families interact. I think everybody secretly is horrified of the idea of going on a family vacation where you're like stuck with your entire family with nothing to do. (laughs) And so I feel like when people are like looking for short term rentals, they're like, okay, I don't really want to be sitting around like and doing nothing with my family. Like we need games. We need something to do together because like these are like these are such high intensity like events that like people put a lot of value into how they're going to be spending their time. And a lot of people are putting a lot of prep into that. So that's very wise. For for sure. For sure. Like think like, even if you were to go um, as an example, you know, my family went snowboarding recently and there was, there was like seven of us or eight of us that went and you know, in the morning we take off and we go, but then we're done by like five and then we, mm-hmm. we go for dinner, but we come back. There's still there's still like hours spent at the Airbnb that you're at, whether that be after dinner and then all, you know, all night. Like, what are they going to do all night? You can't just pop in a movie and call it a day. There needs to be something that can happen and can interact. Right. I think like. I don't know. You just you've got to realize it's how people are using your property. And then compare it with how they're using your competitor, your your neighbor's property, right? Mm-hmm. And then how can you make yours better than theirs through that little concept, right? And you can come up with a million different ideas that uh, you can do on a budget. But um, anyways, it's just like, it seems so straightforward when you put it that way, right? In my opinion. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, can you value amenities as a part of your return? Like, can you value like the return that like a great view is going to give you? Can you value the return that a hot tub might give you? Yes, it's difficult though. So it's it's not very easy to do. Um, oh, this is a good question. It's a it's a complicated answer. Do you all, can I get in? Can I do my best? Get it. To get into it, it because like people minutes. ask me okay, this all okay. the time. Okay, so this is going to be difficult, um, 
All right. So you know how with the software you click into like, let's say the two bedrooms and then you get all the data and it's organized from who's making the most, to who's making the least. Right. Mm -hmm. And you can see all the, the listings in order. That's mm -hmm. super helpful because you've got the ones that are performing the highest at the top, the ones that are performing the worst at the bottom. And you can, if you go through them one by one, right? So you start at the top one, you open it up and you review it. Then you go to the next one, you open it up and you review it and you make notes on everything that you're seeing, right? So you start making, you, you're saying like what the property looks like, what kind of property it is. Does it have high ceilings? Is it a cabin? Is it luxury? Does it have a pool? If it has a pool, what kind of backyard? You start making all these kind of notes, okay? Mm -hmm. What ends up happening is it starts to all make logical sense. So you fully understand why the property at the top is making the amount that it's making. You understand why the property, the 10th property is making the amount that it's making because it you, it, it, you can see the value and the quality of the listings or the size of the home continue to get smaller and worse as you continue to go down. Okay. So that's kind of step one here, right? You're, you're doing that. Now, the issue, the main issue with this is that you're going to have some listings that are perfect, great photos, great design good amenities, right? Perfect listing. And then you're going to have another listing that's going to have iPhone photos and an okay design, but the property itself is significantly nicer. Okay. However, it's not making more than the perfect listing because it's not marketed well, right? It doesn't have good mm -hmm. design, doesn't have good photos. This is what that, this is where it gets tricky. Okay. Because what you have to do is you have to eliminate the not so good listings so that you're only looking at perfect listings, okay? Got it. And the reason you do this is because now you're comparing apples to apples, right? Um, by having just, I refer to these as listings that are maximizing their total revenue potential. So these listings, they can't make more money if they tried. If they added something else in there, it's really not gonna change much. They're, they're pulling as much money as possible out of those listings, whereas the, the bad listings are not doing that. And those bad listings might have a better view, and it gets confusing. You're like, well, that has you know, better view. Why is it making more money? Well, it's not making more money because it has bad photos and bad design. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're trying to find all the listings that are making the most, uh, out of their property. And I always highlight these bright green as like, they're doing the best. Right. And so then what I do is I will remove all of those listings that are not maximizing their revenue potential. Okay. And so now once I have all those removed, I have the best possible data to compare apples to apples. Now, it's not, this isn't always as straightforward or, or easy to do um, without getting into the nuances of it. But now that you have that, right, then you're comparing all the notes uh, as to all the different little details that you made about the property, like what kind of view it has, uh, does it have a hot tub, does it not have a hot tub. And you can, what you could do if you took it one step further is create additional columns and check off, does this place have a hot tub? Give it like a one or a zero, right? Mm -hmm. One means it has a hot tub, zero means it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And then you could do that for each amenity that you're considering. Does it have a putting green? Does it have a pool? Does it have whatever? And so now you're, you're comparing all these perfect listings side by side, right? All side by side. And then you are um, marking out, you're, you're super analyzing and tracking each individual amenity that you're considering. Then what's going to happen is you're going to be able to see how many people have that specific amenity? Okay, so I've, I've, I've done this. I've done presentations on this. So I'll just explain that we, we did this. I did this in one market, okay, where we had, uh, it was a mountain-ish market. So it was, it was kind of a mountain market. It was near the Shenandoah area, okay? Um, and it was also a four-season resort location, right? Um, and 
I can thought, I'm like, this is a mountain area. Every single mountain area needs a hot tub and fire pit. You have those two things, you're good to go, right? Mm-hmm. That's how I, how I thought about it. Then I tracked, I'm like, and you also need a cabin, right? And so I tracked mm-hmm. all these different things. And what ended up happening was um, I realized that uh, if I get these percentages right, so the amount of people that had a game room was like 65%. And so because it was 65%, um, I knew that we needed to have a game room right? Naturally. And to have a game room, you need to have two living rooms because you need a regular living room and a game and a game room. So now I need a house that has two living rooms, right? So now it's square footage size. Um, and then on top of that, the, um, uh, the most of the top performing properties had game rooms. So if, because they're in order of who's making the most, who's making the least. Right. Mm-hmm. And so all these top performing properties have game rooms in comparison to uh, more. So more of the lower performing ones, uh, like the 45% that, or 35% that didn't have uh, listing uh, game rooms were near the bottom, right? So I'm like, okay, game rooms are really important. Have to make sure to do that. Have to amplify it. Kind of makes logical sense. We're in a four season resort. That's kind of where families go. Game room makes a lot of sense. Helps drive revenue, right? Then we get to the next thing and we find out that it's hot tubs and it was like 32% of people had hot tubs. And most of them were not the top performing properties, which I was like, well, that's super odd. I was not expecting that at all, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but now I know for a fact, I'm like, we don't need a hot tub to be able to be a top performing property. That's very, very clear. And then what I did was I did the same thing for fire pits. And um, actually, sorry, fire pits were 32%. Hot tubs were 52%. However, the vast majority of the top performing properties did not have a hot tub. Therefore, we didn't need to have a hot tub, right? So if you, and, and so by breaking it down that way, this is the coolest thing that happened is that we figured out that we um, absolutely, our most important amenity was the game room over anything, right? Wow. Because there's nothing else really that we can add to this place other than the hot tub, fire pit, or, or game room. And so once we figured out that we needed the game room, we went all out. Like our best game rooms are in those markets. The, the most over-the-top game rooms that you can find that we have in our portfolio are in that market because of that little research that we did. And essentially, we took our money the money that we would have put into the fire pit and threw it into the game room, right? Um, because it made sense to do that. So, you know, additionally, just to throw in some other things, we also realized we didn't need to have a view and we also realized we didn't need to have a cabin. And and so all of these things that we thought to be true for a mountain market were not true for this specific mountain market. And we did that by the process I just explained to you, which is the like second time that I've ever explained that. But did that make sense? It totally made sense. And my mind is like reeling right now because, you know, I think (laughs) most of us come in here and we have just like ideas of what we think will work. Like when I look at a mountain market, I'm always thinking people want to retreat. They want views. They want hot tubs. But this actually does quantify where you're investing your furniture and design budget too. And the fact that it's even possible or you found a way to do that is a little bit mind boggling. And I, do you have any theories on why people want a game room in this market versus a hot tub from like a human behavior standpoint? Yeah, I, I honestly think it comes down to the fact that it's a four season resort, which I kind of hinted at as I was going through there. So it's a it's a it's a snowboarding hill at one point, And then it's a I don't know, like family, a whole bunch of family stuff around the mountain for the rest of the season. Right. And uh, uh, that's kind of what this whole area is based off of. and It's like known for. And so naturally, your number one clientele coming to this area is going to be a family. Right. Mm-hmm. So 
that's the first step. And like demographics, like who are you trying to serve is always where you should start when you're trying to figure out your amenities. Who is mm-hmm. it, right? Is it families? Is it bachelor? Is it bachelorette? Is it couples? Like that's the easiest place to start to figure out where to allocate your dollars. Um, but that's kind of the first thing. But then the next thing is the the home types and like the landscapes in the backyards, right? So this area doesn't have good backyards. Like they, they're almost all of these are kind of on a hill in some sort of way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of these people don't have the ability to, to have a fire pit, right? That just that alone, like to have a uh, wood-based fire pit within that area is just not easy to do because of the land. And mm-hmm. then um, when it comes to hot tubs, that one still gets me because like most of the time you can put a hot tub and like, now, mind you, you're the, if you built a deck, the deck has to be able to support the weight of that hot tub. Um, if you were to do it, it has to be permanent, all those different kind of things, right? So maybe that's what's stopping it. But it in re- like, I I personally think it's mainly just due to the fact that parents are going to this four season resort to give their kids a great experience, and if the home that they're staying in, that they're going to be spending hours in, can amplify that experience even further. Why would they not pay more to stay there? It's the mm-hmm. exact same thing that happens in uh, Kissimmee when people go to Orlando. They go to Orlando with like Disneyland. I think it's Disney World, sorry. And it's <laughs> the it's it's so entertaining. It has everything that they could ever possibly want, and yet these parents still pay a crazy amount of money to get a home that is also over the top. So that the entire time they're on this vacation, it's nonstop Disney World, right? Inside the Airbnb and outside. So that's sort of the the, the idea that the parents are buying the best possible Airbnb to amplify the vacation for the child and not themselves is the mindset and reasoning why I believe those homes are outperforming all the other ones. That makes that make sense. sense. Yeah, that totally makes sense. So I have another question that I don't know that I've heard you answer before, and I don't know if you're going to have the answer to this, but well, is there, here we are. Is there a demographic that you feel that you get the best value from? Like, do you feel that there is like gearing all of your stuff towards families? Like you can get a lot of value from that versus bachelor or bachelor at trips. Like, is there a demographic that you've seen a lot of success in and like an avatar that you all are trying to continue to cater to? So the actual answer to this, is that it depends on the market, okay. which may, may be what like, so in other words, you don't want to first off just say like, I'm only going to cater to families or I'm only going to cater to bachelor or bachelorette because um, it, it really does depend on the market. The market that you're in is going uh, going to determine the types of groups that are going to be coming to that specific area, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so then once you understand, like, great example, Vegas is not a family market. Right. So if my whole idea was like, I'm going to focus on families and then I'm also going to go into Vegas, that's those two don't go together very well. Right. And so the idea is that you pick, you, you study the market to figure out what is the absolute best demographic for that. And then you amplify your entire listing to give that specific clientele the best possible experience. Right. That's it. And so, um, because we have properties that do extraordinarily well by serving all three of those demographics you just mentioned, which is families, uh, bachelor and bachelorette. And so like, mm-hmm. but it's, it's market dependent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, does that, does that make sense? 
Yeah, that makes that total makes sense. sense. Yeah, I keep, and I, I keep asking if that makes sense at the end because I feel like I overcomplicate my answer sometimes. <laughs> no, actually, I think it makes perfect sense because I think, I think here, you know, we have both a metropolitan market and a mountain market, and in our mountain markets, we'll get like a lot of couples and families. Whereas in our metropolitan markets, we do get that, but we get a lot of friends like coming to to visit the metropolitan. So we've seen properties perform extremely well for groups of friends. And in the metropolitan, you can add like crazy amenities, crazy designs. Whereas in our mountain markets, most people there actually do want the hot tub. They do want the big views from what we've seen perform best, but they don't necessarily need a a Barbie themed mountain home. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Um, another another way to think about it as well is like the uh, size of the property, right? Will make a difference too. Uh, the bigger the property, the more focus you might be on families, right? Um, actually, you might hit to a certain point, so maybe like a seven bedroom, where it only makes sense to focus on bachelor uh, batch parties, right? Because mm-hmm. like those are going to be the groups of like twenty people that are going to be going together, whereas usually families are only to a certain amount. Right. So Mm -hmm. then it would, or like it starts to make sense to look at into weddings or something along those lines. Right. Um, but one other thing I want to mention too, is in a specific town, kind of like what you're just mentioning, uh, you can have multiple different demographics that make sense depending on the location within that market. So, Mm uh, we have one part, there's one city that we're in where one part is 100% focused on bachelor bachelorette. So women, 100% 100% focus on women as much as we possibly can. And then the other side is focus on bachelor and uh, families. And the way we kind of figured that out was just studying the properties and in each side of those different uh, zip codes and seeing what was performing best based off of that and then tailoring our listings to be able to match that, right? And then once you, like, it's kind of a backwards progress where you you realize like, oh, bachelorette-themed homes are absolutely crushing it here. And then you go, well, why would that be? Right. And you start looking mm-hmm. into like thinking about why would that be? Well, it's like, oh, it's a, like walking distance to these bars. OK, well, that makes sense. Right. Um, and so uh, that's a, that's another thing to keep in mind when you're looking into the demographic and which one's best. I think that that makes a lot of sense. So last question I'm going to ask you is, let's say that someone is looking at a property. Can you give us kind of a process that you would take to analyze a specific property in a market from start to finish? Where do you even start? Well, you go to the Profit Maps Unlimited software, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I agree. This is so a great place depends. to start. It, it, yeah, is, that is where that's that. The reality is, is that is where I start. But for most people who don't have access, you know, there's uh, all the other data providers out there as well. But um, so if you're looking at a specific property and you're trying to figure out the potential revenue of that property, is that, that's the question, right? Correct. So it, without overcomplicating this, you find as, um, as many properties that are comparable as possible that are good data, right? So um, you know, say you're looking at a four bedroom within a specific zip code and there happens to be 10 other four bedrooms within that zip code. You grab all of that data and then you compile it from who's making the most to who's making the least, right? And you have it in order. And the reason you put it in order is because what you then are going to start doing is making notes as to how your property compares directly with each one of those individual listings. And you're essentially trying to think to yourself, can my property outperform this one or not, 
right? Mm-hmm. And so a good you know example of this is like the top property might be a little bit luxury. Uh, maybe it's got a high end kitchen. Maybe it's got like a, a movie theater. It's it's you know got a game room. It's it's really really nice. And the property that you're comparing it to. Uh, you know that you just don't have those amenities. You can't add that level of value because the home is just smaller than that. And so, and therefore, you know you are not going to be able to beat that home. It is what it is, right? You're like, I'm not going to make 150000 Um, And then you continue to go down this and, and, and think that exact same thought as you're looking at each one of these listings. Like, can I do as well as this listing? And essentially, what ends up happening every single time is that you find a couple of properties that you believe that you can compete with very closely. Like, you're like, the, the, the size is roughly the same. The, the quality is the same. Like all these things are the same. And you're like, I can compete very well with this listing. That's not where you stop. That's how you make a mistake. Okay. You don't stop mm. and go, okay, I'm going to do as well as this one. The, what you do is you keep going until you find a property that you know, without a doubt in your mind, you are absolutely going to destroy. You look at it. You're like, this is smaller it is really bad photos. It is not done. Well, this is a property that without a doubt, we're going to be able to beat. And then the reason you do that is because you have so much confidence that that your that your property will at least do as well as that property, right? Mm-hmm. And then so now what you have is you have a, a, a base property. You have this property that is without a doubt beatable, right? Let's say it's doing seventy five thousand dollars a year. Then you have uh, another property, let's say that is um, without a doubt not beatable. They are going to beat you no matter what. And they're making $125,000 a year. And then you've got like three properties in between that. And what you have to try and figure out is, are you, is your property going to fall closer to the 75,000 or the 125,000 based off of those other properties that are in between? Right. And so by doing that, you will eventually be able to figure out what your uh, best case, worst case, and most likely scenario are, right? And so your worst case would be the property that you know without a doubt you're going to beat, right? If you somehow screw up, if the economy drops a little bit, you know you're still going to beat that property. So you're, you're like, I'm going to land around 75000 worst case scenario. But I think that I can, my property could get around this 100000 based off of these other ones that are very comparable because I can add a little bit more value or do almost the exact same as them, Right. And then you're like, but my best case is not going to be 125 because I can't hit that. So therefore, my best case is maybe going to be 110. And so I'm, I'm going to kind of, I don't think I'm going to blow this out of the water, but I could probably be around 110,000, right? And so now you have this best case, worst case, and uh, most likely scenario that's going to help you uh, know the true reality of how much your property is going to make. And that's what gives you the confidence to be able to go out and buy that property. I love that. Yeah. I think that that is so important to kind of project for what is my worst case scenario. If I just don't hit it out of the park, what is my most likely and what is my best case scenario? And then a lot of that is just going to come down to you as an operator, right? You know, there's so much that goes into operating a property well from getting good reviews to pricing the property to the design that you choose. And so that's such a great like starting point. And I think that the magic happens right after that when you implement all of it. Um, John, how can people find you? And then how can people get in contact with you about profit maps? I know it's been so helpful to my business. Is that officially released at this point? No. It's no, still it's not. not. You're no, still not giving it out. So. No, it's still not. <laughs> we're getting there. We're getting there, though. Um, we're we're going to... We're Anyways, we're very close. So this is my recommendation to anyone who's who's hearing me for the first time and is saying like, hey, the, you know, got some good value here. Maybe I want to get a little bit more. I don't recommend that you reach out to me right away. Okay. What I recommend is that you go to my YouTube channel. I have three free courses on there that teach you everything about Airbnb data. I prefer that people have a base understanding of like... of 
the Airbnb knowledge that I have so that when you do reach out, we can have an educated conversation about what's possible and, and how I can work with you, right? So um, if you start off with YouTube, then you can either find me on Instagram um, or my email is also on YouTube and you can reach out to me either of those ways. Those are going to be the best ways to communicate with me, right? Uh, now, the software, by the time this podcast gets released um, or whatever, you will likely have a link that's going to be around this video that you could potentially click that's going to allow you to go and check out the actual software. Um, if you don't see that around there, you can always just reach out and we can, we can talk about it if it's released. Um, but I think that's everything that you'd want to, you want to hear about. Did you ask, did I miss anything there? No, no. And then, um, do you have pricing already for the software? Like what is the cost of profit maps? I actually don't have the pricing set up yet. So we, we are still trying to figure out exactly what is the most optimal price for the software. Um, so I don't want to say anything just yet because it might be wrong. I would suggest a hundred million dollars is what I would price. Okay. Your software at. <laughs> let me, let, well, you paid, uh, you paid a thousand dollars for a year long subscription. Do you think that you got value from that amount? Oh my gosh. Yes. Okay. So Hands down. we're trying to figure out, you know, okay, well that's, all, that's all that matters, right? Is that you, you found it valuable for the amount that you got it for. Um, and so, we're trying to figure out what's going to be the best price moving forward for everybody to make sure that they like, I, I guess what I don't want to do is overprice it so much so that the certain people can't afford it and can't get into it. And then they go out and make a mistake buying a property without having the proper data because I was once in that sort of scenario. So I'm trying, but at the same time, you need to price it at a point where the business can continue to grow. Mm -hmm. I'm going, I'm going way too deep into this and I apologize, but no, I'm, I'm totally like, enjoying I'm it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so I'm trying to find a nice balance between those two. Um, that allows me to one, be competitive with my competitors. Right. Um, and then on top of that, provide it to people without making it outrageously priced. Uh, and so then therefore making it very valuable to a vast majority of people. So working on it. Um, but we'll, it'll be released very shortly. Let's put that awesome. One. Well, everybody stay tuned for that. We will include all of this in the show notes, um, where you can get in touch with John. And then once the software is available, we'll put it in the show notes as well. John, thank you so much for your time. I just feel like this was so valuable. A lot of our listeners are entrepreneurs. They're buying short-term rentals. They're turning their earned income into passive income. And I just love that there is really ways that you can maximize on your investment and make sure that you're not buying the wrong thing. And make sure that you're not spending money on the wrong thing. So we so appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me. I appreciate more than you know. All right. Thanks, John. As always, thanks so much for listening. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend who's also interested in real estate investing. And don't forget to subscribe and give us a review wherever you listen or watch your podcasts.